everybody, welcome to Dr. Who Podcast. Uh, appreciate you checking out some of the other stuff. Uh, do check out After Dark. Uh, we, my guest today has actually been a guest on that show as well. You'll love that show over there. And don't forget the streaming shows on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, uh, 3 o'clock Pacific time. It's a live thing on YouTube, Rumble, all wherever you Twitch, wherever. Uh, and uh, we've had some pretty, even Twitter, we, are, we were there on X as well. We have some pretty interesting interviews we've been doing lately. Just people that have been canceled, I go out and get and talk to them, and uh, at least <laughs> scientists and medical professionals. And my guest is laughing at me for this, uh, Jamie Kilstein. Jamie, uh, the Back Row podcast uh, started in August, and we've been trying to get together to promote this thing since then. Uh, we share a passion for mental health and self-promote, self promote um, self growth uh, that sort of thing and uh, that's what you're all about so welcome of course jamie's a comedian also so don't forget that piece yeah i feel like we come at it from different angles in the set in the sense that like you are put together talking about it where that's I'm what you like, think. Hey, oh, oh right I, I, I haven't been to the i haven't been to the maybe the zones you've been in but i've had my own shit sure that's fair that's fair because i'm mine's definitely more like uh, hey guys let me fix you because i fucked this up yesterday <laughs> That's so so. And and listen, that's that's one of the great things about people's recovery from whatever. When it's yeah. the brain that's the, you know, whether it's grief or whether it's addiction or whether it's depression or whether it's relationships. When people come out, one of the ways they make meaning of it is trying to make sure other people don't do the same thing, you know, try to help them out or to help them prevent the same stuff. Totally. Well, and I know like some of my. um some of the times I really struggle is when I'm watching someone who I look up to and they seem like they've had it together for so long, you know, like even like you'll, 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 you'll hear pastors be like, you know, well, I was like you, but then I met my wife 20 years ago and it's like, ah, uh, that was 20 years. Have you just been killing it for 20 years? Um, so I really try to sort of talk about the problems that I'm going through while I'm going through it, which I don't know if that's the healthiest thing, but it makes for a good podcast. <laughs> so wait, I want to make sure we, we drill into what you just said there. Are you saying that it overwhelms you to think about these longer term recoveries or you're jealous of them or envious of them or seem to apply to you because you're a newbie? How does that work? Totally jealous. Like, I think the best example. So there's this guy um, named Joshua Broom who has kind of blown up. Um, he used to be a really big porn star, like award-winning porn star. And then he, he quit. He was like suicidal. He actually does a lot of good work on like suicide prevention, um, Mm. quit the porn industry, you know, now is married to this like beautiful woman. They have three kids, you know, uh, him and that woman were, uh, celibate until marriage. And now he speaks out against the porn industry. And there's part of me that's like, good for that guy. And then there's another part of me that's like, wait a second. So the first half of your life, you got to fuck porn stars and then you stopped and then you got married to this beautiful woman and have a family. Fuck you, buddy. Uh, <laughs> like you got the best of all the worlds. And I think sometimes people hear those stories and that's it's good and it's motivational. And then other times you just go, man, am I just am I just missing out on on every front or and so there are times like that where, or, I mean, I've seen people who have gotten camps. If I'm being really vulnerable, like John Mulaney and I got in trouble for doing the same thing, uh. except he got to do cocaine and have sex with Olivia Munn. And I did not. Uh. And John Mulaney has a brilliant Netflix special 
talking about it, being celebrated for it, hosting SNL. And I was the homeless last year um, for the same thing. And, and, and when I'm being really gross, mm. like when I'm being really um, uh, victim-y, I go, oh, well, it's because I was like a feminist and I was trying to be a good person. And then I had an affair and blah, blah, blah. And so it's, it, it's a lot of like fighting that and just being like, look, man, I want to be a good person because I want to be a good person. I can't look out i can i can take inspiration i loved john's special um and i know that me not being bitter has been kind of one of my saving graces Mm. but you have to catch yourself when you start i have to catch myself when i start doing that stuff so there was a lot packed into what you just said may i unpack it a little bit do you mind yeah please um so was substances part of your thing no, um, no, was, not with sex addiction part of your thing. Yeah, I think we talked about this. You remember, <laughs> like, uh, I didn't think it was because you're, you're some of your you've you've changed your your way you speak about things since we last talked, and it's interesting. And you're you're moving along, is what I would call this in a good direction. Don't get me wrong. Uh, Getting worse, man. No, no, no. I, I, this is moving along, but, but I'm gonna sort of put a little focus on some of this stuff, Good. and some, and I want to make sure I'm not missing something because a lot of your uh, feelings and the things you very honestly just described, addicts get in that mind frame a lot okay. uh, when they're just getting sober, and it's their disease talking to them to give them reasons to go back. So I want to make sure that this isn't that part of you. Is that happening? There's, you know, I I, I definitely have a compulsion. Um, I have addiction in my family. I think uh-huh. the reason I'm probably not an alcoholic is because I'm a lightweight and don't like getting drunk. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would definitely say love addiction is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about this before, food yeah. abstract before um uh, yeah. about did you get the book i told you to get Face, well, facing love addiction remember that book i think i brought that up with you oh you know what i did i uh met a girl and moved in with her in two months uh instead so that's what i've been doing we broke up it's fine but that's why i'm in a house because she wanted one. <laughs> oh my well gonna, got something out of it writing the book down uh what is it facing, called facing love addiction pmlity by the time we see each other next time at least read the first 100 pages of that book uh, or, or i'll have my new wife read it to me but even- <laughs> oh my god that's hysterical and so you know that's you know that's in the zone of sort of codependency and boundary problems and that kind of stuff right i'm that one yeah and you idealize people and then then they let you down and mm-hmm. oh that was one of the yep Yes. Yes, that's you. But but that we, that's what we talked about last time, as I recall, on After Dark. But but this you're you're describing some new stuff this time, where you're feeling uh, sort of jealous of people doing things that are, by their own description, problematic. Let's say, okay, I'll use that word for starters. Uh, you know, you say this guy that was in the porn industry and then is now have this great life with a great family and a great wife and everything. And you, you see that as the best of both worlds. And therefore you should have access to those things. What, what, so there's two things that sort of jump out me about that. One is 
it, it sounds like there's not just all jealousy. Like there's a whiff, whiff of envy in there too. Like fuck that guy. You said it out loud. I think, uh, and that's envy, which is I want to destroy you for having all that, right? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. and not even I want to destroy you, but just like you know what? It, it's feeling like they got away with it, uh, and why I'm, can't I? Yeah, and I'm, yeah, 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 and I'm just kind of here suffering by myself. Yeah, and fuck that guy. And so, so it's kind of jealousy meets envy, which is actually good. Jealousy is a healthier emotion than envy. <laughs> To be clear, just so I don't sound like a like I had him on the podcast and I said this to his face. Oh, no, no, no. This is all kind of fantasy stuff when we get in these feelings, right? I mean, it's not, you're not really going to hurt somebody. Well, people do it these days on social media and stuff. Let's, let's be fair. Um, so, okay. So that's that's something to work on, let's say. Because envy, envy, when it creeps in, is associated with what's called empathic failure. You, you lose an appreciation for the other people's feelings point of view, emotional content, what they're experiencing. And so what you miss because of the envy is that this guy, let's say, take the Jason Broom guy as the example. This guy is telling you that 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 thing that you envy, <laughs> the first part of his life was empty and painful. It was it was not like it was fun. It may have been for moments. It literally almost drove him to suicide. And I'm right. sitting there like, that's the stuff. Right. That's what exactly and that and that's the part you have to kind of d- drill into which is no 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 that that wasn't him getting the best of both worlds that was him in a deep dark painful problematic state and the one he's in now although the one looked fun he's telling you i'm in this other thing that is far better far richer you know there's a reason people do this and don't do that because it's not healthy Well, and I'm sure when I get that thing, right, like, it's so funny. That's why I I think I rushed um, this new relationship because I'm this new Christian and you show up to church. And just like I used to fantasize about, oh, I'm going to go to a comedy club and I'm going to meet some hot girl in the audience and I'm going to have a one night stand. Suddenly I start going to church and it's the same unhealthy fantasies, but it's wholesome this time because now I go to church and I see a bunch of, you know, uh, uh, like Aryan couples who got married at 22 and have three children named Madison and they're doing fall photo shoots. And I'm like, this is it. So now I'm fantasizing about fall photo shoots and apple picking. And so I meet this first Christian girl and I go, well, this must be different because <laughs> I love Jesus. Even though we're both showing the same toxic tendency <laughs> at the center of it, and it's more like we took Jesus hostage. <laughs> but this is the this is the thing you and I talked about last time. That until that stuff, whatever's at the core of all this, heals, you're a perfect instrument. Your body, your is a perfect instrument. So if you're attracted to that person. By definition, it's a 100% probability it's acting out the same thing. You get it? Yeah. Well, you told me, um, I forget if it was on my podcast. I think it was on After Dark where you're like, you should almost, and I, I, I quote you on this all the time, like you should almost feel bored on your first date you should feel you should be on it's this there's a zone right in there it's hard for people and if you can't do it then you got to go into intensive therapy but but if if you can if you can tolerate somebody that's not so exciting you're attracted 
But it's, I told you, butterflies, not lightning bolts. People have heard me say that many times. Um, and you, and it, it, it should at some point as it gets closer, actual closeness, not bullshit acting out together, actual closeness should feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And, so, and Go ahead. What's your thought on, I don't know if you've talked about this, what's your thought on um, abstinence, right? So whether it comes from a sex addiction point of view, whether it comes from the Christian point of view, you know, when I got, I thought I was taking the, the, the sort of middle ground approach where when I got baptized last year, I go, uh, I'm, I'm a 41 year old slutty man. I don't know if we're going to be able to go totally abstinent. I, I told myself if I met a girl and we were in love and she said she wanted to wait till marriage, I could do it. Um, and so, but what I did do was I took hookups and casual dating completely off the table. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm going to have sex till I'm in a relationship. And so I meet this girl and we waited the longest I've ever waited, which is we waited a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we started having more sex than I've ever had in my life on a daily basis. And you must've been saying, Oh, Peter, this was the right thing. Totally. Yeah. And- what I'm wondering is because now as I'm single, there's part of me that wants to pendulum swing and go back to, I got to get right with God. I'm going to be meditating and doing all this stuff and go back into monk mode. But I also wonder if being so restrictive and call me out of this is addict brain talking, being mm. so restrictive led me to move so fast when I met my ex, because I'm like, this is it now. I've had nothing for, you know, I mean, that was the longest I probably haven't had sex. And it was like six or seven months. Well, uh, so it's yes and yes, in the sense that, yes, that that's why you jumped in so ferociously. But the reason you jumped in at all is you didn't have the right process going on. Something right. is missing in your recovery or so to speak. Oh. Um, and the real, the re- reason <clears throat> for these periods of abstinence is so you don't make the same thing, which you've discovered how you do that. Uh, and that you don't get in a relationship relationships. You know, we've talked about this is, is a, is, is a fitted thing, like a lock and a key. Like there's a reason you're attracted to that person. There's a reason she attracted you. There's a reason you guys fit together. It's based on your shared family of origin, whatever issues and whatever, whatever. Um, but you fit. And- oh, there- Literally a point in the relationship where she goes, you remind me of my dad. And I go, you remind me of my mom. And we should have been like, yeeks. And just it should have been, it should have been like a, a like a cartoon with like, ay, 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 ay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like running you. Yeah. There should have been an outline of your body in the wall, blessing yeah, right, through the wall. Yes. This podcast is sponsored by better help. And of course, I've been a very big advocate of uh, therapy. I've been at therapy myself. And uh, I think no longer should people using stigma as an excuse or not enough time or where it's, look, it's available right now through BetterHelp. There's no waiting room. There's no excuse. There's no longer an excuse not to take care of your brain and your mind the way you take care of your body. It is entirely online. BetterHelp is designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. You can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Uh, if you've even been thinking about therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I've sent family, friends, patients. I've been very pleased with the practitioners and services provided there. 
You can make your brain your friend with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Drew today to get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Drew. But the reason isn't just that, isn't just what I've described so far. It's also that once you're in that fitted context, you can't grow. Because as you grow, the other person feels abandoned. They, they don't, it doesn't fit for them anymore. And so they'll pull you back in. And so this is what, this is the big reason why you got to spend time just growing. Now, I'm of the opinion that you can still date and you can still hang out with people. In fact, it might be good to kind of not test yourself so much as learn how to date without jumping into something. But it is, you can't get in. If you're in, you're locked and it's over. That's so good. I mean, I just want to say on record for all of your listeners, you just, without me telling you anything about her, that was exactly what happened. I remember when yeah. I when I talked to my pastor about this, because he met her and she seemed great. Yeah. And I go, hey, man, am I being Christ-like by being so forgiving or am I a doormat? And he's like, oh, you got to get out of this, buddy. <laughs> That's really funny. The, like the priest going, oh, Christ, what the, Jesus, what's, oh, my God. Jesus Christ, holy fucking shit. My pastor literally, my pastor goes, if you get back together with her, I will fight you. And I go, wow. black belt, right? And he just texted me back, it'll be worth it. Um, it was, because what was happening was, I did feel like I was growing. Mm. And I was doing so much work. And I'm glad I was really forgiving. And I'm glad I was doing these things. And every time she would be mean or whatever, I would get these texts being like, you're being so godly and blah, blah, blah. And what I realized was I thought this is why the breakup was so hard. I thought it was both of us growing. So we would get into a fight and she would be like, God's molding both of us. And I was mm -hmm. like, right, right, right. And, but because she wasn't ready to change, mm -hmm. Well, what happened? It, it also sounds like abandonment is a big issue for her, and until she gets over that, she, she's she, I, that. She said that that was exactly what it was, and so she would either kind of like beat me down to stay, or um, start something so insane because it's like I'm going to get you before you leave me. Yeah, boy, that's and, a, that's a dangerous place. Yeah, man. And I mean, she moved to another state and my, not my abandonment issues, my like, I, I was like, I'm going to be the one to fix her. She just needs to be loved the right way because mm -hmm. all these terrible people didn't love her. Mm -hmm. And so I keep being like, maybe I should get back with her. Or, um, But yeah, you literally predicted that was exactly, exactly, exactly what happened. But so it turns out Christian relationships can suck shit too. Yeah. Well, you just said something that uh, concerns me in, in the sense, <laughs> in the sense that it's it's a sign of of a specific issue that okay. that you're getting to. And you said uh, that you had special insight and you you understood her deep wounds and you could help love her the way no one else. And that's what she needed. So that is your pain and your needs and not hers. And so that means your boundaries are so porous, you can't tell the difference between her pain and yours. So when, when you see hers, 
it mobilizes yours, but your brain thinks it's hers. And all right. I had the same thing. And I would do that with patience. I'd go, Oh, I can help this person. I'm so insightful. And, 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 and really in therapy, I started seeing quite clearly that, Oh, that's, that's my pain. That is not the, the patient needs me to stand firm with good boundaries and hold them there and not do any special caretaking or rescuing because that makes them forever dependent on those things. I've got to stay firm and present while they struggle to make their way out of whatever it is they're in. So that's what needs to happen to you <laughs> in a therapeutic context. Now, I know, although it sounds like your clergy is very insightful and very good, I don't know if he has enough of the skill to do that. Okay. No, that, that, that that's great because, you know, one, it's like I was attracted to a person who needed that. And yeah, you nailed it. I'll get a set like, dude, uh, her birthday was the other day. And I, I finally set boundaries where I'm like, we can't talk during this breakup. Um, and I, it was so hard for me not to call her because I, I know how t- devastated she's been since the breakup. She's back home. She's derailing. I was hoping like, you know, we'd break up and shit start getting healthy. And it's like the exact opposite. And yeah, in my head, I'm like, I have to help her, but you're right. It's like, it's a sadness within me that I couldn't. And, you know, I still obviously want to help her. It's not like I don't care about her, right. but it I pain that I was feeling on her birthday, not just her pain. Well, yeah, it's all great the way you qualify it. It's like we we don't we don't have, you neither you nor I have any idea what she's experiencing. We have no idea. Sure. She may be furious and envious and are knocking out borderline rage, and it could be all kinds of crazy stuff going on with her. You see it as pain, and the pain is yours. <laughs> I know I'm not supposed to text her, but let's let's get her on the phone and we'll crack this. It's <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. So why I, you? Oh, sorry, you go. Go ahead. I, I'm saving this. Go ahead. You started to make that realization because I feel like um, what. I I love having practical applications. You know, it's why I like jujitsu. You want to know how to fight? Go fight that guy. And you go, yeah. great. Yeah. Uh, so I'm getting really good at recognizing, okay, these are my issues. Th- this is where it came from. Where but did it come from? Yeah, when it comes to practical application, that's why I actually really liked your advice about, like, maybe you should casually date. Because in my head, it's like those six months where I was alone, before I met her were so good. I felt so close to God. I was so healthy. I was waking up early. And so I, I felt ready to try. I was learning all that stuff about myself, you know, the codependency, all that stuff. Mm. I felt ready to be like, okay, let's test run this in a relationship. And then in the relationship, suddenly it was just like, same shit, same shit, same shit. Okay, back. Woke up and I'm finally getting back to where I was before. But one of the big reasons, one of the big reasons it was the same shit is because of you were attracted to the same thing, right? Yeah. Once once you go in with the usual suspects, you're going to do the, you know, what do you expect? That makes sense. It, that- it, it's like women who have abandoning abusive fathers, go, you know, being attracted to another guy and uh, he'll oblige her by doing the same thing. So, okay. 
how do you meet let's just get really forget the trauma stuff how where would you suggest to someone like me or if you were in my situation that you actually like meet a potential partner because that's why i think the dating skill is so important i think you need to get used to going out and just getting to know people hanging out seeing what you like what you don't like experiencing people fully not looking for a sex partner or a mate or just like hanging and learning to do that and and not falling it's literally a falling in you get into you fall into stuff and you you and the, by the way you're going to have these experiences where you're like oh that's the one and you're going to have to have somebody there in your corner pulling you back out these these human behaviors you ever seen the little shop of horrors <laughs> sure this is the the Audrey too, the plant that eats people when you go near it is a perfect model for these kinds of compulsions. I the was like, you, what's I that? Hope Papa Horror's analogy is not for my life. And then I'm like, yep, it's for my life. Yeah. Feed me, Seymour. The only way you can stay out of the plant is if somebody is there holding you back because yeah. otherwise you will go in. And that's what a therapist does. That's what a sponsor does. I don't know if your clergy is up for that, but yeah. that's what you must have. Well, they're definitely up for it. The poor guy gets so many voice memos from me on his phone. Um, he was practically in the relationship with me. I, yeah, but he should have pulled you back from it the entire time. And I was defiantly being like, nah, I'm pretty God wants it. <laughs> I, it's, uh, I, I, I love that because I just, I need to figure out how, because most of my girl, most of my friends are. I have a lot of really close girlfriends okay. and I can go and I can hang out with them and probably I'm doing all those skills that you're talking about, but there's no, 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 no. that's what I was going to. Yeah. No. There's no- you're already in kind of a weird friend zone with them and who knows why you need, you need to expose yourself to different people, not that's- the usual thing. Just, you know, just if somebody interests you for any reason uh, and di- you just kind of, just kind of hang out, see what they're all about. Just get to know them. And but you have to be kind of honest up front with people that you're just sort of, it's just lunch kind of thing. I'm just looking to you know just kind of have coffee with somebody. I'm I don't. Know. What do you call like this? Sounds very dumb because like what do you call that? Yeah, there's a name for it. What is it? Dating courtship, dating. My head dating is always it's either a no or we have sex, and then if we have sex, I immediately go, well, is this a person that I could marry? So let me tell you something about the female brain. It is highly rewarded. Like it's a rewarding experience when somebody sits and pays attention and listens. Okay. And, and intimate conversation is one of their highest levels of interpersonal of uh, social reward. So you just being there and listening to them, uh, and, and, and really being present, you have to, you have to, and practicing boundaries, one of the ways to practice boundaries is showing with your face that you appreciate what not, not don't exaggerate things too much, but showing that you appreciate. Oh, mm, no. Nah, yeah. No, just, mm, yeah. Mm, to show, show, cause that's a boundary and it's a reflected function. So they will receive it at a part of their brain. Oh, he gets it. He's listening. Drew, I have terrible news for you. I feel like when you meet, <laughs> It's like a choose your own adventure where you'll give really good advice and then I, you turn the page and I go, it's another trap. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm very good at that. And so the problem is, man, this is so interesting. Uh, I've never thought about this. The, I, 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 I used to talk about how like I'm bad at uh, casual hookups because I'm not 
like hot guy you see at a bar attractive. I'm like baby broken bird who needs to be nursed back to health attractive. So I, and then I had a filthy joke where I talked about if a girl, if you want to orgasm a lot, date a sad, needy guy. And the joke ends with, I will not stop eating your pussy till I'm convinced my dad loves me. Uh, (laughs) That's a very funny joke. So what, um, so what happens is because I'm good at those skills, because I do listen, I do care if a girl is satisfied in bed, whatever. I get so many things that start casual with women who have literally even said to me like, oh man, I usually wouldn't even be attracted to someone like you Mm -hmm. to they jump automatically to the, I'm in love with you. That feeds into all my shit Mm -hmm. and grows, grows, grows. Mm -hmm. You don't see how that's the same thing. No, it's exactly the same thing. So what I'm saying is like what you were describing that I should do actually kind of gets me in trouble sometimes because I'm good at that. So combining that with healthy boundaries, I guess. It's not goal directed. It's specifically going to end no matter how satisfying it is. You're going to walk away. Maybe you'll have another date. That's it. You're not allowed to keep going. Okay. Uh, This is terrible. I get it now. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And maybe, you know, and literally that person you'd have to say, you know, I'm, working on myself. No, I can't really get in a relationship right now. If you're still free in a year, you know, I may contact, you know, that kind of thing. You have to say that kind of stuff, but it's been a real pleasure getting to know you, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you have to practice this, not racing as you're describing this. I know this is hard. I know for average, for people that know people listening may be astonished that this is hard the way it is for, for certain people. It is hard. Uh, So you don't want to mislead anybody. You don't want to use that skill to manipulate or get somebody into your plant, your plant. You know, now you're pulling her in your plant. You're going, you know, the you're the uh, Jamie too. <laughs> and, uh, and you just want to just be, just be there and then get out and be whole, not be sucked in, not be taken in, not be activated, your feelings. And always think to yourself, wow, I think, you know, if you start feeling that kind of, I see something special or I start idealizing, pay attention to that. That's your shit. That's not hers. Well, the Jordan Harbinger show uh, is something that you should be listening to. Uh, Listen, you have someone tell you, you got to listen to this podcast. Well, Jordan's show, which Apple named one of the best of 2018, is aimed at making you better informed. He is a brilliant dude who is a careful interviewer, researches things well, and selects his guest very, very carefully. Uh, You can, for instance, hear a story of a cinematographer who discovered a lost city in the jungle uh, or an FBI negotiator. Look, uh, Jordan himself has been like abducted a couple of times. He speaks multiple languages. He's got a law degree, always focused on pulling useful information out. You need to listen to the Jordan Harbinger show. I enjoy it. I think you will too. Search for the Jordan Harbinger Show, H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R. Search for it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It is the Jordan Harbinger Show. Oh, that's such good advice. And, you know, for people listening, it's, this is how you know it's, your addict brain or compulsion. (laughs) I'm like, 
I remember even when we broke up, I came back to the house and her and the animals were gone. And I thought I was just going to be devastated. Mm. Felt this like peace. Mm. And, and I have felt this peace. And then anytime I'll get a text or something sad or, you know, I mean, we still have like bills in our names. So I'll mm. get like an electricity bill that ends with, I will always love you. And I'm like, oh, and you that's, start. That's manipulative. Yeah. Yeah. And you start telling yourself these stories about like, man, maybe she was the one or maybe. And I think when you're trying to be alone, too, it's so wild that while I was alone, I was happier than I've ever been. I was healthier than I've ever been. And then this voice would go, well, you still need a girl, though. You need a wife. You need this. You're 41. And then I get into it. And suddenly you know, even though I'm struggling with this breakup these last couple of weeks, my trainer today was like, Hey man, you look happier than you've ever been. And mm-hmm. I go, I mean, since the breakup, he goes, no, you look happier than when you were coming in here in the relationship, when you were in the relationship, you were coming in here destroyed. dude." Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah. That's when I was happy and it's the exact opposite. Yeah. Hmm. How is this young lady doing? Is she okay? This is a different question. Not, not, I mean, does she have mood problems? Has she had some history with stuff? No, I mean, just it's all the stuff you predicted, like the abandonment, um, that taken to its highest extreme. So she becomes chaotic when the abandonment approaches. Extreme. Yeah. Rachel. Rachel. Yeah. And, and and even uh, and then it would get real. Like I remember, you remember when like every hacky '80s comic had like a like that time of the month joke. And yeah. so I never, when I was like a good feminist, I'm like I'm never gonna bring that up. And PMS and blah blah blah. Every PMS week, uh, we broke up. Like to the point where I was like, I should just go out of town. And then I did. And then I got home, and she was gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like really mind to it um but and it's, so- it's a little too simplistic to put this all on uh, premenstrual dysphoric disorder no, no 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 there was a lot um but that was just like a bonus thing that happened and so i think it made total sense right she had all of this abandonment i had all of this codependent like i'll love you i'll love you i'll love you of yeah. course attracted to each other and then it's also what blows it up yeah of course so I want to, and, and by the way, you know, all the knowledge in the world doesn't change any of this. Right. Okay. You have to experience yourself. And the reason when you started talking about your own pain being mobilized by another person's pain, I was like, ooh, ooh because it kind of, it well, it requires somebody very skillful to put you back together. Like a wife? No. <laughs> and I don't know if the clergy is enough if he's not really trained in this stuff. Um sometimes it involves trauma specific trauma therapies like EMDR. Sometimes it it it's something more protracted, like what's called emotionally focused therapy, EFT. But you gotta be with somebody skillful because the this stuff is it's your brain, and your brain takes a while to heal. And it, it's we require other brains to heal us. We we don't we don't do it on our own. And knowledge doesn't 
do it. Now, knowledge may cause us to make different choices and then have different experiences in an interpersonal context. And that's that can work too. But we will tend almost always to fall back into the old stuff. Our brain really resists getting at trauma or changing because the change is experienced the same as physical destruction because an old self is dying and a new self has to emerge and your, and your brain just won't do it. But, yeah. But so. right. You know, it, it's the, the mindfulness helps in the sense that I see when I'm doing it. And when I'm at my best, I go, okay, let's redirect this. And I do. And then when I'm at my worst, she me last night and the only way i could not text her back was i'm like i'm just gonna order so much sonic and eat so many mozzarella sticks that i feel like i'm gonna die uh and then i wake up today do my healthy stuff go to the gym talk to you feel good feel good feel good it's just i i can't i can't be at the point where one email makes me want to completely right you can't you can't white knuckle it forever right yeah so that's on you. You'll figure that out. Uh, I want to talk about a couple other things. Ready? Yes. Ready to switch topics? I, just something I'm curious about, and I don't know if you would just ask me, please move on, but there's a statement in one of your bios that says, uh, did Joe Rogan three times, two times was great, one we don't talk about. I thought, you don't have to talk about it. You just have to tell me what that means. Um, so the, it, it kind of works like a, like a trilogy, um, where the first one, fantastic. Um, I it was at his house. It was back in the day. We talked about uh, a bunch of stuff we agreed on. Second time was when I was in my, uh, super woke feminist in my twenties phase, right before the divorce. And, um, I didn't know we were going to get into a fight. Um, we got into a fight about, uh, what? about what? If you about, keep talking about it, about feminism and rape culture. Oh, and so what happened? What I, I've joked before that if you want a really good anti-drug commercial, so I had I hadn't smoked weed since high school, and I get there and they're smoking weed, and I go again. I don't think we're gonna get into a fight. So I'm like, oh, when in Rome, like gotta say I got high with Joe Rogan and them. Yeah. So I smoke weed. And if you want an idea of how the show went, the anti-drug commercial would be me smoking weed with them. And then it would say 10 minutes later, (laughs) it would have Joe Rogan standing up on the podcast, yelling at me, would you rather be raped or murdered? And then I should say, don't do drugs. (laughs) And so what, what actually happened was, um, I it was sort of like a mini cancellation from the anti cancel culture people. I started getting all of these, and I was self righteous, and I was in my twenties, and I, you know I haven't watched that back. I'm sure it's a nightmare. Um, and <laughs> the so what happened was I got sort of labeled this male feminist guy, mm. and you know I remember, uh, but what I thought I was saying is like rape's bad and it happens a lot and uh we should be mindful of that as men and that's why i don't make rape jokes and i'm sure it just came off as like again a sarah lawrence like slam pretension levels skyrocketing um but dude like people were coming after me so hard my twitter got hacked they just wrote rape all over it i just like the rape culture guy so that 
years later when the affair came out everyone oh, was, oh rapist kill scene or uh, like yeah, to be clear consensual yeah. year affair stupid bad blah 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 yeah. uh, but the reason my story blew up so much was actually probably more because I was a pretentious asshole and less than I had an affair. Like the Mulaney thing, he had an affair. Okay. Yeah. You know, because I was sort of on my moral high horse about how we treat women. Um, and it was at the beginning of the cancel culture stuff where like an affair was being equated to, you know, Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. Um, that was kind of the perfect storm. So then... You know, I disappeared for a year. I didn't do stand up. I didn't do anything. Joe called me and was like, hey, man, let's like come on the show, put this stuff behind you. And so then the third appearance on Rogan was kind of the like, now that I've been canceled, let's be friends again. (laughs) It was great. Do you go to the mothership and perform in Austin? I performed, uh, uh, I got to perform once and it was great. Uh, it, it was amazing. I was like a host for a uh, roast battle. And so they had me do a set. Um, and I still get like kind of nervous and weird around a lot of those guys. Um, I always have. Um, Joe said nothing but like nice things about me on the show since then. Mm. Um, it's a like the relationship thing. It's a it's a me thing. But man, I had a blast. I had a great set. Everyone was really cool. Um, the you whole say, you say a roast, uh, you mean kill Tony? No, uh, so there's another show called Roast Battle that this guy uh, just does. Um, it used to be on TV, I think it might have been a Jeff Ross thing, I don't know, okay. yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it was great, man. It and it's the club has transformed the entire scene, so yeah. like three club downtown now, um is kind of it's just like if you're on sixth street it's now it feels like this is the comedy mecca yeah it's vulcan it's uh mother mothership and then the uh what's that other one called so so i actually played this one for the first time the other day this one called sunset strip just opened up oh wow and then uh the creek in the cave is probably that's what i was thinking of that's a oh. weird room, that creek in the cave. It's a good it's a good room sometimes, but it's just it's odd. <laughs> it's, uh, an odd it's an odd good room. Yeah. 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 Vulcan's definitely been my favorite. When yeah. Vulcan act, it's just like one of the best clubs on the planet. Yeah, it's got a balcony and people go nuts in it. Uh okay. So I want to talk. We have sort of remaining 10 minutes or so. I want to talk. Oh, by the way, I, I just wanted to point something out before I get to the next topic, which is I've noticed that woke becomes awakened (laughs) in reality like reality has a way of bringing woke into reality (laughs) because woke is so ideological and so detached from from you know it it detaches itself from reality and when you get in reality that's a better it's a hell it's just where you have to be You, you can't you can't stay on reality forever so many people i know this was for me which is like a lot of things, uh, a lot of times things start with really good intentions oh, on sure. both sides. Yeah. So I heard the term woke in the beginning. I mean, dude, the first time I got called a social justice warrior on Twitter, I thought it was a compliment where I was like, thank you. I do look out for the well-being of others. Yeah. And since woke, I thought it was just like, hey, you're like, your eyes are open to injustice and how it's really hard for yeah. these minority uh, communities. And like everything mostly because of white liberals, it got so bastardized and it just kept getting, they kept adding and adding, 
adding and adding that it started to reverse and actually do more damage right. to, I believe, to these marginalized communities because Me Too is a great example, right? If you compare an affair to rape, if you compare a bad tweet to institutionalized racism, if you suddenly people start taking the real injustices less seriously. Um, well, I don't know less seriously, but they certainly stop listening. Stop listening. That's it. They stop listening. Yeah. They, they just go, all right, whatever. Yeah, come on. Uh, yeah. and, and that's the unreality part. That's the part where it just detaches from reality and people go, okay, I, I'm, I'm back here on earth. So I, I'm sorry. Yeah, right. I do care about these things, but I can't listen to you anymore. And, yeah. and then they eat themselves too. And so here's what I, because of it, I've become a mo- much better student of history. And I've discovered two things by looking very carefully at things. And I'm still reading voraciously about these topics is that these are cycles. They happen all the time. Uh, and it is inevitable that things like intolerance in the name of tolerance, which is what you're talking about, um, starts eating its own. I mean, the French Revolution is your greatest example of this. The guillotines come out and eventually it, nobody's pure enough. Everybody's on the guillotine. That's, right. it. That's the way it always, always goes. Uh, and that and that this is a cycle and that there's things to be learned from it for sure. And there is a, there's an entrenched elite that is old and too entrenched. And I think that's what's causing a lot of this. Uh, and that needs to be corrected. We need to we need to actively bring young people into the into the the leadership structure of the world. I mean, it's just ridiculous that we have all these old people clinging on to everything. It's a mess. <laughs> Hey, whatever podcast you're listening to right now, guarantee it's not as good as yeah, you can Fighter stop and the listening. Kid. Yeah, stop listening to it and listen to Fighter and the Kid. We've only been doing it for 12 years. Oh, geez, before anybody else was doing them. Now everybody's copying us. It's so much fun. We cover sports, pop culture, Life, dude, in Lizzo, Lizzo, Life, Feet, Feet. Fetishes. Oh, There's a lot man. of sex talk. There's oh, a lot we of the, know our stuff. Yeah, you're not going to learn anything, but hopefully you'll laugh. You know what I'm saying? You might learn something. Go subscribe to The Final Kid right now. Immediately run. Don't walk. But what I want to talk about is uh, religion, because I, I know that's a passionate thing for you now. And, and part of what I've begun to see is this, this is the perfect topic to follow what we've been discussing, is that when, when human, humans have a religious nature, uh, and they become religiously evangelical about politics and about vaccines and about medicine, about everything, if they don't actually have a real spiritual program. Uh, Talk to me about your feelings on that. Yeah, I mean, David Foster Wallace talked about it, um, about how, yeah, we all kind of have, we're all going to be religious towards something, money, status, God. And, you know, for me, Becoming a Christian was the last thing I thought I would ever do. I mean, my first album is just tr- the whole thing trashes Christianity. Um, and, you know, I used to just see, like, I'm sure I looked back to the left, hypocritical religious people. I never thought about God or I never thought about Jesus. You know, I my idea of Jesus was the the Bush administration. You know, when I was first becoming political, I was like, oh, I guess so Jesus would just like bomb Iraq and like hate gay people. Yeah. And so I was like, that's not for me at all. Yeah. Yep. And so, yeah, I started 
just, I was like, I'm just going to read about Jesus. I was so sick of politics. I, I didn't want to swing the other way. I didn't, I, I was like, I'm just going to start reading about Jesus. And it felt so good. It felt so good um, to uh, whether you believe the resurrection or not, just to read about just kindness again and just unconditional love. And in fact, reading about Jesus, you go, man, he was kind of doing the opposite of what these elites portrayed. In fact, you know, I thought I could never become a Christian because I had such a problem with religion. And then you read about Jesus and you go, oh, that fucking dude had more of a problem with religion than I did. The only time he got mad was about the Pharisees and the hypocrisy. And when you actually look at who he was hanging out with, he was hanging out with the most hated people of that time, um, tax collectors, prostitutes, uh, fishermen. If you were a fisherman back then, that essentially means you'd been rejected by the religious establishment. And so that pissed off religious people even more like, who is this guy? And so I just started thinking when I first went to church, very skeptically, um, I was like, I'm just going to go in it being like, even if I'm wrong, if I live my life like Jesus, we're probably pretty good. Um, and that's going to be my North Star. And then you go. And I felt, you know, when I was an atheist, I had to tell everybody. And I had to, like, memorize quotes from Richard Dawkins' books to, you know, tweet back at someone. And it, it, it was so, and I didn't realize at the time, it was so forced. And it was so performative. Mm. Um with this, I feel different. I feel changed. I feel more loved. I feel kinder. I actually know what the word grace means, which I didn't know before I was a Christian, like for real. Um, that if someone wanted to debate me on it, I can't quote scripture, man. I barely know it. Even on the podcast, I'm interviewing pastors. I didn't really know that a lot of them, like, you're not supposed to curse. I'm cursing to my pastors on stage at the church, um, talking about having sex and all this stuff. Um, I I just feel so different that I, I wouldn't need to debate it um, because I know what is functioning differently inside me. So, you know, to your original question, it's, you know, I, I still have my relationship stuff, obviously, that comes from trauma and, and all of that. But when it comes to other behaviors in my life, you know, lashing out on Twitter, um, a lot of the self-hatred even, um, that stuff has gone away because I feel so loved. And I think because I didn't have that way back in the day, um, that is why I was so desperate to have I, I need to be put in a box. I need to be a group. Okay, I'm a liberal and I'm a liberal. And these people on Twitter like me. And so I'm going to post about this, even if I like, I'm not really sure about it because I need that validation. Um, that has kind of gone away. Um, the status stuff has gone away. Um, and and yeah, so to your point, I think that is because I have this foundation now, which I never had. That doesn't mean I'm not going to be a total screw up and broken and, that's kind of what the podcast is about is so much like of this Christian self-help is, well, I have it all figured out. You just need to read your Bible more. And I'm like, bro, I read my Bible and I fucking leave more confused. I don't get it. 
And so it's to show people that like, hey, you don't have to be perfect going into Christianity. In fact, it's the exact opposite. Uh, real Christians, including my pastors, are like, oh, I need Jesus more than any because I'm a screw up. Like my pastors will say on stage, like, don't listen to me. Let me lead you to Jesus um, because I'm just as broken as you are. And that's another thing I love about the 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 Christians that I've associated myself with are very much like very open about their flaws. And 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 that's something that I didn't know existed. I thought it was just self-righteous people who were going to make me feel bad for jerking off. So so humility, <clears throat> we need a whole giant dose of humility uh, in, in, in the, in face of a higher power or something. Uh, I agree completely. Uh, and you know, what is it? Sermon? Was it the sermon on the Mount? Uh, love your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Was that the sermon on the Mount? Uh, who knows? But, uh, as someone who has a Christian podcast, I can now say yes. Uh, I, I would just say that I've, I've noticed that that injunction is something that really is what you're talking about, but it's, it's so simple. It's so simple, right? It's just be, be love your neighbor like yourself. Love, love your neighbor as thyself. That's it. Period. We need we need we need to remember that that's how this society got going. That's how we were able to survive and build this great this great world. Is that one thing is a central character? Well, and you know something that I just realized. I've never said this before, but I think the way we segued from the political thing to this, yeah, going to church is the first time that I'm in a room with hundreds of people where we all have a common goal that isn't divisive. Yeah. And all the churches are very divisive. Yeah. But when you find the right ones, it's all about, you know, my pastors open every sermon by being like, hey, we're just a bunch of uh, imperfect people pursuing a perfect God. So it, it's the, it's this pursuit of something beautiful based on love instead of we've become we don't have as many social gatherings as we have. So most of us are online nowadays mm-hmm. and online profits off of divisiveness. Mm-hmm. If you're going to the right church, you're surrounded by people who are pursuing something greater than ourselves. And I think that's the difference. And that's something that I never experienced is so many of my clay, even comedy, by the way, comedy is all about kind of like shitting on other people and pointing out things that we don't like. Um, and so that, that, that's been tricky, me trying to figure out this kind of new version of myself. How am I going to talk on stage now? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that being in a community that is pursuing something positive instead of being online where you're getting rewarded for tearing people down, yeah, that's the, that's the move. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And uh, what, let's see if we can do it. That and then the humility piece isn't a really important one because our, you know, our sense of our own importance is flawed. That's not. It's not true. It, and you know, I see this work in recovery all the time. This is where I sort of come to it. I've seen how this the same model in you know it came from the sort of religious people trying to help drug addicts and alcoholics that that, that these pieces bled into uh, recovery. So it's all all the same thing. But Jamie, I got to wrap this thing up. Uh, you're you're moving along, my friend. It's interesting to me these these conversations we've had. What three of them? Is this our third one or second one, third one? Once on After Dark, once on my podcast, yeah. and yeah. so this is three. And, and it's each one has been. I, I see 
you know, I see your growth. I see where you're going. I, yeah. <laughs> I, and it's, and it's intriguing to me, the, the journey you're on. It's, it's, uh, everyone has their own, right. And, uh, yours is, is quite a fascinating one. So congratulations. And I, I hope people are appreciating it as much as I do. It's the back row podcast. You can learn more there. Uh, where, where can people go to, to go see your comedy? How do we find yeah. out where you are? So right now, honestly, I'm just kind of like reworking a lot of my set in Austin to kind of uh, be as authentic as as possible. So I'm not I'm pro- I'm mainly focusing on the podcast and I'm actually making these sketches on my Instagram that are blowing up um, <laughs> kind of about Christianity, but about like fumbling through it. Um, I didn't think it would be as relatable as it is. But I mean, some, these sketches are getting like millions of views. Oh, fantastic. Uh, yeah, so I'm proud of that. Um, so that's on my Instagram. That's where I'm kind of hanging out the most because it's more positive than Twitter, which is at the Jamie Kilstein. And Isn't that, that weird? it is so true that Instagram is 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 just palpably more positive than Twitter. It's weird. Lovely. It's just people posting dog videos and fitness <laughs> motivation, and I think it's because you have to have like a real name attached to it, and it's like here's a picture of my kid. But even I mean, dude, like. On, I've never had a sketch that's hit as much as I did one, like uh, a dating one about Christianity that's almost at like five million. Wow. And even majority of those, even when something blew up way out of my sphere, most people are just like happy to be here. Like, uh, yeah, it's lovely. Uh, so I'm I'm not on Twitter a lot. Um, so yeah, my Instagram, and then I've mainly been focusing on the sketches and podcast. Um, and then the plan is kind of like blow that up. And then get back out on the road with this new audience and kind of see where that leads. So the podcast, you can go to backrowpod.com. I have a newsletter that's free where I do writing about stuff like this. And then the YouTube channel is linked and the podcast is linked. And then Instagram, I would say, is my that's my happy place. All right, my friend. Uh, great to spend a little time with you again. Uh, I, I, You know, I'm in Austin all the time. I want to try to see some sets you're doing. Uh, yeah. There. Yeah. I'll, I'll DM you my number and then you can. Uh, yeah, that would be great. because. Okay. I'm figuring it out. I think you'll like it. But man, I just want to say, like, I appreciate your shows, but the friendship that we've kind of like started to, it means the world to me. Well, that's very kind. And uh, let's expand it in Austin because I am there. I, I, I'm, I'm only there for one day coming up, and then, but then I'm spending a longer time in a couple of in a couple of months. So I'll, I'll look for you then. All right, Jamie Kilsteen, Back Row Podcast. Check it out, everybody. We'll see you next time. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. 